Hi, this is High Notes with Dr. B, and I'm your host, Dr. Denise Ritter Bernardini. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope that you will find this and every other podcast inspirational and informative. And if you're like me and you're a curious person and you like to learn something new every day, then you and I will get along quite well. I am an avid reader and love to learn, and it is my hope to bring something new for you to think about or to learn about every podcast. Thank you again for spending your time with me. Hey everybody, today's guest is Marty Ellen Hill. Marty Ellen is a groundbreaker in the world of business synergy and integration. She's won many awards. Uh, We'll only give you the highlights because we could be here a very long time. Um, She's a recipient of an award from the American Society of Composers and Publishers. Most of you may know that as ASCAP. She's also won awards such as Fulbright Grants, National Endowment for the Art Grants. Um, She has also received several international commissions, including being the first woman commissioned by the group Musique de Vivante in Lyon, France, Uh, the French Consulate, the Canadian Consulate General, and the Royal Bank of Canada. She served as judge and panelist for several international competitions. She's a fascinating life and a fascinating lady. And this is going to be a little unusual, but I'm going to start it out with her reading an excerpt of her book so that you understand a little more of what it is we're going to be talking about today. This is a pretty complicated uh, world that she's discussing and a pretty complicated, creative, um, epic. I have no other word for it, but epic. And you will, I think, find it very fascinating and very timely given the day in which we are currently living. So I hope you enjoy this. Hello, I'm Marty Ellen Hill. I am going to read a brief excerpt from my book, The Skeleton Score. In my story, The Skeleton Score, a strange melody is carried to earth in the genes of a powerful dynasty. Only in the 21st century do we learn how the melody encodes information that powers up a machine. The cost for this knowledge is a star's murder. In the depths of the cosmos, strange music echoes throughout the universe. It speeds with demonic power toward Earth. The sound splinters as it lands. We are caught by a haunting melody. The tune has a peculiar ring to it not heard since a child was put to death in the medieval village of Augirat. Today, this ground is one of the trendiest fashion hubs in Paris. On it sits a family business owned by the American Barringtons. The melody builds. A clock tower strikes the noon hour. A ghostly pattern circles the city, connecting all of the arrondissement to the famed Rue de Vaugirard. 
Deep inside a church vault, a Fabergé egg sits in the hands of a desiccated royal woman. Outside on the street, in front of the Barrington family boutiques, eight-year-old Odette Ray scribbles in her notebook and marks up the sidewalk with her own secret code. She begins to draw a hopscotch grid. She is oblivious to the annoyed looks from pedestrians who have to detour around her. While she's drawing, her father, Jack Barrington, CFO of the Barrington family business, shows up and confiscates her notebook. What's in this child's notebook that could be that valuable? Her scribblings reveal information hidden in the melody that has been lost to the Barringtons for centuries and is about to resurface with a vengeance. An ocean away in New York City, in Carnegie Hall, the beautiful rising pop star Rachel Barrington gets wind of the same musical melody. In Rachel's hand, the melody is being shaped into a Billboard Top 40 smash hit. Appearing live, Rachel Barrington has a presence that not only captivates live audiences, but extends worldwide through all social media. There's only one person who will be able to know how dangerous and infectious this smash hit is. Sitting in the Library of Congress is Lily Barrington, mother of the pop star. Lily is a woman in her late youth. She has been set up by her mother-in-law, Rose Barrington, the family matriarch, to unlock the mystery of how the Barringtons have gotten this force field power. Lily Barrington is about to face her own hidden past and her daughter's untimely, grisly murder. Good morning, Marty. How are you? I'm great. It's wonderful to meet you, Denise. I oh, it's so nice to finally meet you. We've been talking off and on since the summer, and I've been, uh, you know, looking at at your um, your trailer and reading some of the things on your webpage. And I'm I'm really curious about this project. It sounds amazing and fascinating, and I can't imagine what your brain and uh and a degree of creativity that must exist inside you because it's pretty amazing the all of the little ins and outs so what i'm talking about is something called mend universe or the universe of mend and it is by by you marty ellen hill and it's a book. It's a. It's staging. It's. I. I don't. I don't know what it is. It's. Tell me. First of all, tell me how you had the. Uh, what on the world? What in the world gave you this idea? Were you dreaming? What happened? Well, actually, I had this idea as a very young girl, and the the first. The first rendition of this really was a very straightforward, not confusing in any way, because it was commissioned by the NEA, 
I was the first woman to win an NEA in New American Work Opera Musical Theater two years in a row. I had a Yale producer who commissioned this. Um, I had already done a, a number of tracks of what I thought would look like a good New American Work opera work in the 1990s. And uh, it did extremely well. I was on the works and process of the Guggenheim series. Uh, I was at Steinway Hall, many funders got behind it. And all of a sudden I was faced with the fact that this was a huge opera project, which might only have uh, two performances at a major place. Yeah. And uh, my uh, manager at CAMI, Columbia Artists, said to me, you know, you should take the music because it's so interesting and send it to Hollywood. And it was my first piece of good luck. Uh, the music itself went to CAA, uh, Creative Artists, uh, and they actually opened it, which was an amazing thing because I had wonderful press in New York. Um, from I did four out of six sections of the stage work. So the stage work was set, I don't know if you remember the, um, the Robert Wilson time in New York, he did the Civil Wars. This was set as a real um, spectacle. Um, and I basically, the CD was the microcosm of this spectacle, this vision of this young girl that opens out this clockwork story on the stage. Uh, so it actually only got to the stage in four out of six sections. Um, and I never got to do the whole thing. <laughs> Sent the CD to CAA, and there began my uh, quest to build this into a much bigger universe that would be able to be done as a video game, as a kind of Harry Potter series. Uh, I raised money. I had a wonderful investor, John S. Nuveen, Nuveen Banking Family, and he gave me $150,000 to bring in uh, an X-Files writer to help me write the script. And by that time, I already had a playbook, like a whole origin playbook for how this would look as a series of films or a show. So we're speaking now back to about 2005. Uh, show series were not big then, but it went to a place called the Dark Material, you know, the Fine Line Cinema, who they were going to do the Dark Materials. <clears throat> they did the Dark Materials and they said, well, you know, this is a fascinating work. But then I had a full 118 page film script. And I kept this mechanism of the stage always in the opening of the film script. So it was, it's very, it's a very programmatic work because I just kept building the characters into a bigger global story and kept this germ of the stage in the opening of this screenplay, always circulating through the story, basically informing the characters on this path. And then you have a, a story that's somewhat like the Lord of the Rings, big idea. Uh, because each character had a complete uh, data stream, a complete language of their own. Um, and as I built it, um, I realized that 
if I sold it as a screenplay, I was unknown as a screenwriter. I was really known as a composer and a stage writer. So I began to learn the business of what it would mean to uh, put this together and have it be understood that this machinery of the stage was actually informing this clockwork information of this dynasty uh, all the time and that I would actually have to write out future books to show how this each character worked within the scope of the whole universe. That was a pretty hard job. I, I left CAA and this is where uh, my wonderful colleague John comes in. I have two other team members and I began to build my own company about a decade ago to build a blog and then build all of the, uh, the, the information center that uh, became the assets to this universe. I hope you know that's somewhat helpful, but the stage is really the fuel, the generator of this story. If you were to read the, the film script, it's very straightforward in terms of how I opened the stage and how the stage, uh, or how the elements of the stage um, come alive uh, to open the screen to this protagonist who must find the code that unlocks the characters as a unified group. It's basically saying, this is a character set, one cast that can land anywhere in any format with this musical information. Um, and then I began to build it into AI and into all kinds of uh, information systems of data that the, so that the characters were able to carry and migrate from this uh, factory, right? The stage. Mm -hmm. And it, it has a, you know, a murder in it. Um, you go back, it has a kind of Game of Thrones. Uh, there's a whole way in which the characters are genetically connected through three generations that gives the story its real gravitas. Because there's a mentorship in the story. So that this idea of <clears throat> singing and cognition and uh, intelligence comes from the music itself. And that was the hardest part of it, right? Because I'm building an intangible idea that has to land and show you that the information system can open a screen to people. <laughs> Excuse me. Why, well, I mean, so let me get the trajectory of your life right, because I think this will tell people maybe why the book took the, the um, idea of music and turned it into all these other things, which I, I have to say, I, I think is brilliant, but um, you know, I'm a musician, so I know how smart all my musician friends, my musician friends are some of the smartest people I know. So, and I know a lot of smart people, but I also know that uh, what music does to the brain and how it is, you know, something that really enhances neuroplasticity and if we really understood the brain we would find that I think that music is something that really makes the brain hyper connect and it's why so many people are drawn to it and why they love it and and I mean music of all kinds of genres but especially classical music of course if I understand your background correctly you 
are a musician, a pianist. Am I right about that? <laughs> I was a pianist. I yes, I I definitely I I was a pianist for many dance companies. Right. So I have a music and a science background, both. Um, okay. There. There it is. That makes total sense to me now. Okay. Yeah, you have degrees in both or, or? No degrees in science. However, as a young woman, I was really, in fact, I mean, there's a personal memoir story here that I don't go into too much, but I will hear. <laughs> so I was a, really a science and an, you know, a linguistics person, winning, winning prizes in etymology and um, science in high school, but I, I had a tremendous accident and the music talent is what really saved my life, but also punished me because I was forced to tell the science uh, and the math, uh, which really drove my consciousness and curiosity through this music lens. Mm. So the music became more than just a performing, uh, you know, I sing, I have a degree in voice and in piano, both. Oh, okay. Okay. There you go. Yeah, right. I, my first uh, instrument was voice. I graduated from Bard College with a senior recital and um, I did my moderation recital in piano and my senior recital in voice. And, um, oh, actually the other way around. Sorry. I also went to Longy School of Music and to New England Conservatory. Um, Longy is now part of Bard, um, and I, I was in, I had a tremendous instinct for orchestration, though I never really formally studied orchestration. <laughs> so my life experiences drove me to want to understand this idea of arranging a tune and how a melody would actually uh, be indicative of somebody's trajectory in life, that they would carry this kind of uh, genetic piece, a link, sort of like the way the pandemic is now, when you have a vaccine, it's only a tiny little piece of the actual COVID, that the germ of this melody could be connecting a family with all these different pieces of this genetic code. And the idea of genetics and um, environment and how one brings uh, ancestry with them through all of the very idiosyncratic details in their mannerisms very much interested me, the neuroplasticity of it all, the stuff of, that one finds not definable. Uh, I found definable through this, um, music idea. Mm -hmm. And I, I love to sing, meaning um, right. you know, I found that uh, as a kid, I, I think I was a bit of a conundrum to adults, yet I was a very social child. So it kind of had that Rain Man quality because I had this kind of instant turn it on, turn it off singing thing that it was always with me. <laughs> Right. Yeah. But very interesting. Okay. So it, it's when you said a piece or a germ of this um, 
gene is in each one of these members, it almost, it almost sounds like you're talking about epigenetics. Oh, yeah. I, I'm surely, I'm, I'm sure I am. Uh, however, I've been very been talking careful. about it long before epigenetic. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe epigenetics was popular in the early 2000s. Not, but of course now it's, it's huge in the study of biology and the study of our genes and everything. But I mean, the premise there is that you have these, these genes and then you have, uh, you know, trillions of other cells and I may have the, the, the number wrong. It may not be trillions. It may be billions. I don't know. But it's a lot of cells that make you up. And that one little thing, maybe something from your environment or something else, can trigger a gene to express itself, right? So it sounds like these people have this, this little gene hidden in them somehow. And that something triggers this gene. And... Oh, no. For sure, I put a Solfeggio puzzle that is very specific in this story, meaning she's carrying this codex that you're talking about. So this girl was killed uh, because she cannot write down and divulge to the people who want it. <laughs> That's part of the mystery of the story. Uh, very much in a way, you know, my life, right? Me saying, it's like saying to a young person, how, how, where did you get this talent from? How does this thing trigger in you and not in me? She gives it away to a whole audience. I mean, I build a whole mystery of exactly about what you're talking about. Wow, that, that, that's, that's amazing. I, I love that because I'm, I'm really into the whole uh, epigenetic and, and things that trigger, trigger certain like my father has Alzheimer's and I have a sister who's passed away with cancer. And, and, you know, now they're saying that those things are not necessarily genetic, but, but they are certainly something that triggers those kinds of, those kinds of diseases. And I super, super curious about that. But, um, so what I did, Denise, just to, to be clarify this, yeah. just for us, it, the same thing, interests me, right? Because I'm totally interested in medicine. I read books like, you know, uh, I'm trying to think, um, the what is it, the hierarchy of all, oh, I'm trying to think of this guy's book about cancer. Um, what I did is to actually answer to what you're saying, which I think is the most, was the most tedious part of this whole thing. By the time I got to book one, I wrote, an opening to this film script in a few prologues. And um, The Emperor of All Maladies is the book. Oh, uh, it's okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. Fabulous, fabulous, fabulous book. Because it talks a lot about this naming idea, thank you. Um, it talks a lot about this naming idea and how consciousness is, you know, helps to find cures, but until they find the right a context and name for an illness, and this, the, the Emperor of All Maladies goes into the historical idea of this, you know, looking for a cure for cancer. So I built this naming thing also into my story about how this genetic idea is, I take you back to the Middle Ages, I take you for much further back, but I stop you in the Middle Ages to show you where this puzzle stops in this town and is actually codified in a habitat. So basically I'm beginning to show you that this puzzle, this Solfeggio puzzle, genetics, right, 
keeps dispersing in this hidden sequence over centuries, right? And that by each century until you get to this current day story of this girl who prophetically, right? Uh, falls upon this information that they have, that they, they meaning this dynasty and the people looking into the dynasty have been looking for as a puzzle. And that's how I build it into this hopscotch transporter, meaning the hopscotch transporter in the story is a function really of this genetic information system that we're talking about. It's just like saying, here's a periodic table and it keeps morphing and revealing more and more clues as we're moving towards the 21st century. Okay. Yeah, so that's part of the backstory of yeah. how I get you interested in, you know, why does this girl carry this, you know, four letter sequence? It's a solfeggio puzzle. Right. So this has, it started out as a possibility of a play and a stage work. Well, it actually was commissioned as such and actually got to the point of major reviews in the paper. Okay. But I, the truth of the matter is, I mean, it was a matter of money. I, I was a rain man type. I, I had a major person say to me from the Guggenheim, if you don't take this to some other place, Hollywood, you know, this is like, how much money is this to put on the Met stage or the Bastille? You'll see two performances and you'll be dead. Yes. So, right. So I had to learn the business of being a woman. We won't go there too much. Right? <laughs> Very male, male, gay, yes, dominated. Yeah, I didn't really. The truth was, Denise, I was green. Sure. Not anymore. But well, yeah. Listen, you know, uh, Marty. It's funny because I I say this all the time that if if it's often the naivete that that will thrust you into a world and had you known what you were going to know all the things that you were going to have to deal with all the things that you know the powers that be men put in your way to keep you from being able to do the thing you would have never began so thank god for the fact that you were naive because i was naive you don't know <laughs> You, you're more bold, right? It's if you had known all the things you might not have, well, you may have, but a lot of people wouldn't do what they, what they start out to do if they knew how hard it was going to be and all the things that were going to happen. But okay. So I, so let me, let me just help my listeners a little bit. Um, so it, it started out as a, what you thought would be a play or, or some sort of a stage work, an opera, musical theater, something like that. You're also composing. So then you composed some of the music for it or all of the music. No, I wrote the whole girl score. I mean, this is okay. the, the score is what drove this from beginning to end. It never okay. changed. <clears throat> okay. All right. And then from, from there, it, you, you got interested in it becoming a movie, but it is not a book. It is a book. I have the book. It's just the Book one is like the prequel, as if you were writing, you know, looking at Star Wars. Book four is completely written. It's the origin book. Uh, it's just that book one, I never went to, to a publisher. To, right now, I have publishers interested. 
but the book was the last thing. So it's think of the music idea had to go through all of this artistic journey to keep mapping this information as like a new form of writing. It's like, it's basically saying that the writing comes from this uh, epigenetics that you're talking about that we, it's John always says to me, one of the most interesting things he thinks about men is that after 5,000 years, why is it now that writing is changing? I.e. Twitter, all these social media uh, forms that are actually changing short form, long form. If you look at it out there, everybody has a book, right? I wanted to show that this was basically the story that these people are commenting on in this Facebook link is, uh, this, this is the story of this, this dynasty's missing playbook. It is book one, right? right? Yes, because book one has the clues to what this message she dies with, like her last will and testament. So my original book, the stage work, meaning the original uh, Bible for the whole thing, if I was to send you the film script, which I'd be glad to do, I mean, you could browse it and you get this in the first 20 minutes. This child is writing this information system in this factory, sending it to another young girl who's about to sing it. And she's writing it in a big playbook and the playbook is photographed and stolen. Um, and then you begin, you know, the story. Mm-hmm. So the book is basically in the show, meaning it's sure, of course, like, like any, any, but I've just, uh, I was just asking because I was wondering, could, can people read the book? Can they people- can, but I'm hoping to have it published first, but I have a first three chat, but I be glad to send anybody, uh, the book proposal as is, which basically tells more than just the book proposal. It talks about the assets of the whole universe, including the show, this, you know, and all the things this can be. Yeah, it's, it's very simple and straightforward. Mm-hmm. They can. Right. Okay. I mean, I was just wondering if my listeners were like, oh, I'd like to read this story. If there was a book somewhere out there in print. Oh, no they- book, no book published yet. I gotcha. Okay. All right, so that, that's kind of a very different way. Most people write a book, right? Then they do the play and then they try to figure out how to make it into a movie. But yours is flip-flopped in that it, you've, you have done all of the editing and work and creative end by putting it on a stage and sounds like almost workshopping the book, the story uh, uh, in a way as you put it on the stage, it sounds like, because I know I've been in a lot of opera things where people come and they're workshopping their, their work, you know, to, to fine tune it and see what works and what doesn't work and how the, you know what I mean? And it sounds a little bit like you've workshopped it, it a, a long, for a really long time. Mm, I did, but I basically kept transforming the medium that, it, it was more to say that I, if you were to see this book proposal, you would see that the, it's actually the, well, because people are looking for a finished product. So the finished product really is the 118 page screenplay. Right. Okay. Within that whole opening screenplay is the whole universe. Okay. And this is, this sounds science fictiony. <clears throat> 
for my listeners, but it's, it's set in modern times. It's set in modern times, right? So it's sci-fi meets science, really, meaning it's just on the cusp of where we're going to understand viral information, right? How does information travel? Yeah. Uh, it really sounds very like now is the time. It sounds like somebody needs to pick this up right now because it that's is. What, very that's much- what my my people are saying in this particular thread. Yes, it should have been. Well, should have, would have, could have, excuse me. <coughs> um, a few allergies, though I'm fine. Um, Boy, me too. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, I had a COVID test two days ago. Um, so, Denise, perfect. It should have, should have, would have, could have. The last three years, just John knows super well, have been spent with some of the biggest people coming to me but the middlemen, I had to learn the business of this. This is a hard business for a woman. If you look at this woman who's just directing Star Wars now, today, Patty Jenkins, I think is her name. These people, it's a tough, I had a producer come to me the other day, take it to three networks. She said, you're a triple threat. I said, why? She said, because you're as good an entrepreneur as you are a composer and a creator. I said, well, I had to learn the hard way. So the business part of it, the last three years was very tough. Mm -hmm. I I came into contact with several middlemen. I mean, it went to Sony, a meeting, a big meeting that the person got fired. Um, And then you learn that if you create a universe of this depth and you cannot put out each piece fast enough, that any one person who takes it to the wrong place can you know, finish you for a year. And I had to learn that uh, and I learned it and I found another. So for instance, this was on the desk of Viacom CBS in March, uh, solicited because the person saw that this was curatable content. What does that mean? It means it can go out in any number of ways. They can uh, shred it, move it, brand it, advertise it use it because it has, for instance, let me give you a for instance on why this is a good commercial property. I actually went so far as to build the musical code into the fragrance streams of each character, right? Because fragrance is built on notes. And the whole idea is the notes are the notes are the notes, i.e. the written notes, the, the smelling notes, the musical notes. And I actually uh, weave that through the whole story. No one has to know this. I need to know it in terms of how the characters move this habitat around. Mm-hmm. They're moving a functional uh, habitat in this hopscotch, which I narrate this three minute thing, um, around. And why they like this so much is they saw this could be, if you walk down the streets of New York now, I could be doing this if this was in the right hands. Uh, There were Chanel uh, advertisements with chess boards and, you know, fragrance. But no one has really made yet the connection between the chess board, the fragrance, and the actual music that surrounds this as one idea. That's what this does. And they, they saw this at Viacom. However, the pandemic happened. You remember I was talking to you and I sounded like, oh my gosh, 
Yes, because I realized at that time when I talked to you, if I didn't retool this quickly, I would fall off the landscape and that this is a perfect vehicle for this moment of remote delivery because that's what we have. Meaning we, we, you know, are now in a very different time and era. Yeah. Sounds like Netflix needs, needs to get a hold of it. I agree. And my friend Bruce Pandolfini hopefully is talking it up and I definitely need the right showrunner to um, put it in front of somebody. No, it definitely, it's ready. It's a, it's a human blueprint productivity uh, uh, habitat that is ready to unfold in the next, uh, in the next, in the hands of the next network. The producer came, came to me and said she, she read the film script overnight. She, she couldn't believe it. And, and that film script was written, John knows we've gone through this many times in 2005. Okay, so that's 15 years it took me to write this blog, build out the, you know, so that people would understand how it was driving right to right, to right now. Right. Saying it's uh, Denise, if we were here a year ago and people told people this is going to be a pandemic, nobody's going to be singing live. Nobody would have believed it. Right. They wouldn't have believed that. And the sadness. I mean, I could go on to another show to tell you. I mean, even in my church where I sing. Right. Uh, What they have to do to even put three singers up there with these masks and sing sure. and take away most of the choir and uh, reorganize every presentation around you know the covid limitations right yeah no well no we wouldn't have a year ago i would have said oh come on not uh, yeah right um <clears throat> do you remember where you were the first time you thought about this yeah well i mean i was thinking about this in a different way but thinking about this as a young like five-year-old i'm not kidding i used to drag my mother to the library and say walk along the street and say where is everybody how come there were so many of the same things out there how come nobody's thought of anything else (laughs) i i don't know where i got that idea from but i um I was just, I'm an eternally curious person. Mm. Um, And um, as I said, when in my teens, I came into a roadblock that was huge in having to do with this family dynamic, which is very much written into the music. This, um, This is a musical, the musical theme is a Hebraic theme. And I never wanted to push that part of it because the point is I was writing about a sacred musical modal theme. And I mean, basically this girl in the story bastardizes it, but she doesn't really, meaning she's just morphing it. It's like saying the Jews use it this way, the Gentiles use it this way, the the Middle East people use it this way. And guess what? You know, you can have your pick um, because I... So this theme called race theme was very successful in getting me to a lot of places because people would say, where did you get this melody from? And it's a quad libid, right? So I took six 
tunes that I loved and then wove this modal theme through it. But I never really wanted to talk about this that way because people saw, oh my goodness, we go to the backstory, we get into World War II, you know, this breeding plan. And I thought, mm, people will say this, that, you know, they'll target me in some way. So I was always walking on the curve of, you know, as an artist, you are writing what you're writing and people make of it what they do, whether it's the Scientologists or right. the Kabbalists. And I'm not gonna, it has my fingerprint on it. That's it, you know? Um, and, and that's created a problem for me, I think, because I uh, people expect me to make a coin out of it in that way. It's a royal story. I take you back and tell you in book one right away, this is really not this girl's name. Hmm? It's got this Bach-like idea that her name is written into the, into the music, right? And all of their names are like that. Um, and the idea of, you know, going back to Bach, right? You were supposed to keep the musical information within a certain circumference of the town. <clears throat> and, you know, it's basically saying it has this heady Lamar piece to it, right? Frequency hopping. Yeah, those people actually came to me. That's a long story. Um, you know, uh, and where did she get that? Well, she did this same sort of thing, right? With George Anti. And instead, I used myself as the genetic specimen, you know, meaning I didn't go to find another composer. I am, I think I'm the composer. <clears throat> and, you know, it's got this Faustian bargain in the story. It has really strong, you know, operatic themes in it that we all know. Right. And and the the trailer that people can see <clears throat> is very well done. Uh, and is that music in the background your music? It is, but it was not edited by me, meaning he took bits and pieces. Sure, sure. Yeah. <laughs> he no. didn't even ask me, but yeah, no, it's all my music. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I wrote that. Yeah, I wrote every piece of that. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I have to thank John and Dave and Peter, my, my team guys. They believe in me and, you know, take a piece of the back end. Nobody's gotten any money. And um, they, the, Dave did the trailer and he did the deck that I sent you. I, I wrote all the copies. So, I mean, I took all the risk, but they believe in me. So uh, that's why I'm sitting here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I hope this gets in the hands of some really strong female producer who, who can uh, shake shake it out for you and get it in the hands of you know some the right people. I could see Sundance doing it, you know. No, and and it's all the pieces are there. Meaning, it, one of the hardest things that I did to protect the copyright because the it's a story of encryption, meaning how these characters actually unfold this hidden thing, which is so much fun. Meaning I have so many comments on that blog from these young kids saying, where can I get this? Right. I said, I wrote the blueprint, but I don't have a production company because this is, a st right. Uh, uh, unless I was to raise money a third time and to tell you the truth, Denise, I'm done. Yeah, no, I don't. <laughs> I, I, 
I want to live my life. And um, I wrote this for, you know, many generations to enjoy it. It has a mentorship piece in it. Actually, um, uh, Dave Stern, who was the acquisitions editor at Star Trek Pocketbooks, wrote, helped me write the summary that's online. Um, so, you know, the best people have had their hands on this. Um, it just needs to be much more visible uh, PR-wise. It, it needs to be marketed and to get in the hands of people. That's all. It's, it's one step away from that. Right. 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 It's because all we have now is basically just, you know, marketing and PR. And people uh, often ask me for my memoir. And I'm sort of divided. I was telling uh, John about that, um, about when that should be, you know, in a PR piece. Because I have a very diabolical memoir, meaning a very, uh, really in cold blood story to tell. Yeah. But I didn't want to frontline my, I, one of the, the conflicts I've had internally for many years is um, I, I didn't want to be known as a victim. I, you yeah. know, and part of the story here is that I really, until I landed in this high IQ society and somebody else championing this and saying what it is, how it got done, I, I just didn't want to tell the victim's story. That's why the star story, she dies, it's like Sunset Boulevard, you go back. Uh, that the protagonist with the skill is the protagonist, you know, is the winning uh, person in this opening story. And then we go back to find out about these very uh, charged relationships and why they are that way. So that it's a good story in the sense that I keep turning and twisting you and show you, for example, the girl dies and, you know, we hate the killer. I'm not going to tell you who it is. <laughs> Excuse me. And, you know, then as you go back through the story, you realize that she's about to give away the sovereign code to the United States because it's a royal code. So, you know, then you begin to go, well, wait a minute, you know, she's going to risk all our lives. And she didn't know what the heck she was doing. She couldn't even write this damn code down. Yeah. So that's how the I keep turning and twisting you in terms of your loyalties towards these characters and your sympathies keep changing, right? Depending upon where you are in the story. And that is probably the biggest mentorship learning piece in terms of, uh, you know, critical reasoning, hmm. I think is at a big loss right now in <laughs> society. Right. Well, we could talk a long time about that. But so um, is there a storyboard? Do you have like pictures and storyboard and the whole bit for it? Yeah, the deck is a storyboard. Yeah. Okay. Okay. The deck. I have uh, other I have another dashboard on the blog that I could send people oh that shows God. all of the little pieces that are in the uh, script mm -hmm. that are basically, we did what, like at least five or 10 app prototypes. Mm -hmm. For example, there's an elevator that shows you how this works. There's a combination lock to their vault that shows you how this code works. I keep showing you how the characters are maneuvering this information system. Yeah. 
I could see it being like a, um, a like a graphic novel too. I mean, for young oh, yeah. kids, you know, I mean, not, not kids as in five-year-olds, but I mean, I, my sons uh, who are in their mid twenties and, and uh, well, Don's Don's sons, especially who are older than mine, but you know, they love graphic novels and they read them. And this sounds like something that if it were in a graphic novel, they would, they would love it, you know? So, I mean, as a way no, to another for, generation. For sure. This, this goes the gamut. This, um, this just has to get into the hands of some, it's a franchise of somebody who wants to exploit the pieces and um, the book could get out there overnight, meaning it's, it's right there. Mm -hmm. I, I, as I said, the business part of this in the last three years has been, for example, the team of J.J. Abrams read the script and loved it, but they were like, well, you know, do you have the distribution in place? I said, I'm not Amazon and uh, I'll, you know, let you know. <laughs> right. That's how hard it is because people expected me to be the complete, you know, because people walk around with, we have this discussion all the time with iPhones that are cameras submitting these 10 second, um, you know, web series so that I must be able to be doing that. But that would actually decimate this vision because the whole idea of this is in the actual uh, CAA helped me do a, a proposal that when she's dying, you actually see her phone. And um, so that the whole big story is unraveling, but on the phone, it's coming out in a completely different number system. And we already, I already did that. So the point is, is that what this is really set up is for somebody like, uh, you know, Apple or another phone carrier to be able to see that the mobile uh, information system could do almost any web series on it. Meaning I'm setting a prototype for this era we're in. Mm -hmm. The character and showing you how my characters can sit in Star Wars, sit in anyone else's um, universe and be the operating system. Because that's really what I designed was an operating system, right? That the music is connecting them as a character set and operating system and taking on the traits of wherever they are in the next habitat. So the way I did that in the book, in this prologue, for example, is I set you up and then I take you on this plane. And for example, I set up the whole plane and the seating system that mirrors the same as the auditorium, right? So that basically these are tone rows. When my guy, you know, came to me, he said, is this real? <laughs> I said, it's as real as me putting in this tone row system in the plane so that you understand that the plane is flying for 30 minutes and then with 30 minutes you fall asleep. And then I show you how this tune is actually emanating through the plane and, you know, where this protagonist is sitting is where it lands. Um, nobody has to know anything about the whole scale system, anything. They just are mesmerized when they read it. I had somebody, in fact, I'll send you this person who's a big financial advisor at my church. She does a very good uh, idea of talking about why MEND is the next level up from Harry Potter in terms of the 
skill sets that it is unlocking for people. Wow. Because I went to the trouble of doing that, meaning uh, putting in actual real musical scaling system. So it's a scaling, you know, as you're moving through it, I'm showing you how the scale opens in this macro idea or in this micro idea. It's actually very programmatic there, but that's in the making of it, meaning uh, the experience of it is very different. It makes you read very fast, meaning because it's exciting, mm -hmm. you know, and you kind of are hypnotized because it's, you know, it's addictive, I hope. <laughs> So other than like giving up your life to see that this comes to fruition, uh, uh, which I have to say, uh, you know, people are always, especially in this day and age where people are like, you know, I want to, I want to make it in whatever, or I have a book or I have a this, or I have a that, you know, and if it, if they don't get traction within a couple of years, they're like, you know, doing something different. If you, you know, they don't have tenacity or um, the longevity uh, commitment that it takes to see to your project coming to fruition. And I tell my kids this and also the students that I have, when you go out there and try to do something at, in your career, you can expect at least 10 years <laughs> for sure. trying to get traction because it would, and of course they're like, what, 10 years, uh, you know, and this is a prime example of someone giving their life and their life's blood to a work that they believe in and that they uh, have a deep, deep connection with. And that's clear that you that you have this. Um, so, I mean, I commend you for hanging in there with with it. I, I mean, it's 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 great. It's beautiful. And it's um, it's amazing. The music is stunning. Um, well, it had to reach it. The, the reason I do, that's where I was getting to this memoir. For example, I have a writer who said to me, I really want to write about your life. And well, she's a well-paid ghostwriter for many people. And what interested her the most was my saying that because of this very, 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 and I can't emphasize very enough, challenging background that happened to me when I was 10, mm. not, not as an infant, I was old enough to know what was going on, mm. um, that it took me basically half my life, maybe much more, to reach this high society genius IQ that somebody actually was going to champion this. And I said to her, the tragedy in this story is that I was that same girl at 10, mm. meaning it's the story really of uh, somebody who took my life mm. and what it meant to get back the respect and uh, <laughs> champion that I was stopped from yeah. and really because I you know had reached an enormous level in school I was on my way to MIT at 14 with the guys and my life was stepped stopped in the most horrific of ways so this work really was my finding you know that boy if you want to really 
say it that way, though I find it very uh, banal, but that's me. Mm -hmm. uh, is searching, you know, this searching in the story by the protagonist, this searching for identity, meaning the original voice, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I can give you an example of this, even, you know, I, I don't know if you remember the singing teacher, Uta Graf. She was at Manhattan. She was, you know, she did a Beethoven's Mrs. Solemnus that was very talented. So I won the New York State Teachers Singing Association. And she put me on the stage and I was singing Di Forella. Mm -hmm. And I started to sing the dotted version of the, uh, you know, the quartet as opposed to the song version. And she stopped everything and said, oh, you know, Marty has had this horrific life. And she embarrassed the heck. I tell you, I never, I thought I'm getting off the stage and never doing this again. But it was my beginning of realizing that my love affair with all these voice teachers, which is very deeply embedded in this, right? I was looking for them to give me this magic. This is where Phyllis comes in. Uh, so that I could, I knew that wherever I was singing, you know, my fach was not quite in that right place. You know, I have it now. I can go into this church and sing like I am a despina, even at the age of 50 years old. But I couldn't then. And um, that bothered me so tremendously. Um, writing this and a few other things, uh, help to stabilize my life and find that equilibrium that I was searching for uh, and the respect uh, because I had the world in front of me and it was really taken from me um, in a very, very, very violent way. Mm. So uh, if you have that, you find whatever kind of, I guess, salvation you can find. But I mean, I, I'm sharing this with you more than I share it ever, probably. I just have not talked about it. But this this high IQ society gave me some, uh, uh, I didn't have to kind of hide behind my musical theory or my musical quote unquote genius or, you know, uh, what, what it's done for me. Um, I, I, uh, it had also to do very much the business of currency, money, assets, you know, soft and hard assets, and the idea that this uh, violence also plundered my life in every financial and health way possible. So there you have a very good reason for my sticking with this. Yeah, right. Right, because I was proving to myself that I was indeed that same person that that happened to. Mm. Um, I'm so sorry. Yeah, well, I didn't, you know, I really didn't want to. So the point is, this writer who came to me said she was very interested that it took me till I was being, you know, represented as somebody who truly had these talents and doesn't have to prove myself any further. Right. right? Uh, that I was valuable to be paid for in big ways. Um, I, I owned tremendous real estate. I was uh, actually a strategic advisor. I used to write co-ops and condo plans just because my mathematical mind, I would look at buildings and tell 
a partner of mine what they were worth. And uh, because of my health problems from this uh, earlier thing, um, I lost all that property. And um, in the middle of doing, <laughs> excuse me, this. So what made me stick with this was I had to say, okay, I don't have this real property anymore. I don't have this person with me anymore. I can build this. Mm -hmm. it, it really boiled down to, you know, nuts and bolts of saying, what was I leaving here and why? Right. Right. Meaning uh, you only have so much time in life. And I'm actually very, a very, very good teacher. So the, the hardest part for me was uh, watching people asking people for money. You know, I used to fight with some voice teachers because I would go like, what are you charging this nonsense to me? Because I knew, you know, where I was in certain things. And um, I remember I had a scholarship to Aspen and Voice. And that was a big turning point for me. That's another long story. But I mean, I had a huge assortment of, of mentors. So one of the things I wanted to show in this story was the, the value of true mentorship. Right. Mm -hmm. Not just somebody saying, okay, you know, now your 20 minutes is up. That's 500 bucks. Just, <laughs> I know somebody who has a big name. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I put all kinds of things in here. <laughs> wow. Wow. Well, I'm, I'm just sort of a speechless because there are so many subjects we could talk about on so many levels. This would be a really long podcast, but I I wish you all the luck. I hope that the right people get a hold of this, and I hope that I'm um, able to see this in movie form. And I'm really? a lover of books, though. I mean, I I I read. Ton I'm a I'm a voracious reader. I love to read, and I would love to be able to, I hope somebody would publish it and I'd love to be able to read it. So can I send you the screenplay? 118 pages reads like a book. Of course. I'm Absolutely. going. Yeah. You will love it because I have Nora Efron's assistant now, a, a pretty well-known director on the Broadway. She just told me she can't put it down. It's riveting. So we'll see what you think too. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not Nora Efron. I'm, I'm just Denise. Yeah. So. No, I'm just saying she's the person who can yes. possibly, you know, hand it off. <laughs> that's all. Right. That, right. That's what this needs right now is somebody who believes in it, who has the power to hand it to the right people. Well, there that's you go. That's it's it's the power part. Because I, I it sounds like a lot of people have read it and they believe in you and they believe in the project, but it just has to be in the hands of the right person. And I. Yeah, well. We'll, we'll talk in a minute, but I, I, I just, so, you know, I want to definitely encourage my um, listeners to look at menduniverse.com and go there and uh, listen to this music that's in the trailer and also read the blog and uh, find out what's in this world. It's an amazing, it's amazing thing. If you like Star Wars or Game of Thrones or that you know those kinds of sagas. This this will be a story that you will love to read about. So, 
Thank you so much, Marty, for agreeing to be on the show. And I, I wish you all the luck. Thank you so much, Denise. This has been wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening today. And we hope to see you here in two weeks with a new guest. And as always, peace, love, and courage. <laughs>